Hello, welcome to the Talking Michigan Transportation Podcast. I'm Jeff Cranson. Last week, if you were in Michigan, and maybe even if you weren't, you probably heard about some devastating tornadoes that tore across the south central portion of the state, basically cut a line along the I-96 corridor from Grand Rapids to the Lansing area and then hit further east. But before that, record rainfall had overwhelmed some drainage systems and tributaries in Wayne County near Metro Airport. This led to what was reported to be the highest total of rainfall, 7.36 inches at a station in Belleville, Michigan. Uh, That was a 24-hour total, which fell almost entirely during that event. And the deluge flooded the tunnels at Metro Airport and closed the McNamara Terminal, which is the Delta Terminal, one of the, the busiest, for several hours. And the National Weather Service reported that a record 3.5 inches of rain fell during that period, the most ever recorded there on August 24th. So we're seeing more of these, um, what used to be 100-year, 500-year uh, events are happening with, with greater frequency, lots of reasons why all related to climate change and lots of questions always after these events about what can be done so that there isn't flooding, people's basements don't get flooded, the freeways don't get overwhelmed and and have to close and motorists are stranded. A lot of this relates to wetlands and what we've done uh, to kind of do away with nature's natural holding tanks for these kinds of rainfalls that would let the water recede slowly into the ground and then make its way into the tributaries and the outlets. Here today to talk about this is Hugh McDermott Jr., who is the Director of Communications at the Michigan Environmental Great Lakes and Energy Department. He also has an extensive background reporting on these things when he was at the Detroit Free Press, and he also worked in communications for the Michigan Environmental Council for a time. And I've known Hugh for a long time. He's a former colleague and a friend and always has interesting things to say about this. So, Hugh, thanks for taking time to be here to talk about these things. I know we've done this before and probably uh, we'll do it again because this issue isn't going to be solved anytime soon. Sure thing, Jeff. Yeah, I'm glad to talk about it. I love to talk about uh, infrastructure, both uh, man-made and natural as it uh, as it pertains to stormwater management. So give me the quick 101 on, on wetlands and why people should care, because I think it's, it's kind of background noise for a lot of people. They might be vaguely familiar with mitigation efforts that go on when something is built that displaces a wetland, but probably don't really think about it every day. And, and, and you know, a lot of people just use terms like a swamp, um, which is really kind of selling short the importance of the wetlands. So. Give me your spiel. Yeah, sure. Uh, uh, a swamp uh, by by another name is a wetland, just like a, a weed by any other name is a native plant. Um, but but you know, people uh, in Michigan may take our water resources for granted sometimes because we are nestled in the heart of the world's greatest freshwater ecosystem. And and along with that, 
Um, you know, all those waters are connected. Uh, the Great Lakes are connected to the groundwater resources that a lot of us rely on for drinking water and to all the rivers and streams that connect to them and flow into them, but also to the wetlands or swamps, as some people might want to call them, um, which are, which are um, uh, you know, vital resources um, for a lot of reasons, not only for the natural environment and biodiversity, um, but for flood control, for flood control, um, stormwater control. Um, think of uh, think of a wetland as a as nature sponge. Um, lots of spongy soils that can absorb water, stormwater that comes down in torrents, and and hold that water temporarily and release it very slowly back in into the into the water system. Um, and and what we've done in Michigan historically um, since pre-development uh, times has has destroyed a lot of those wetlands. We've paved a lot of them over. We've turned a lot of them into farm fields where water is the you know excess water is the enemy. So the water is channeled to run off fast and in, in, into streams and, and lakes. And, and we've done away with well over half of the wetlands that used to exist in Michigan and even more of the coastal wetlands along the rivers and, and, and lakes. And we're paying a little bit of the price for that now. You see the storm, the storm events that are overwhelming some of our, our man-made systems and, and the natural systems that used to hold that storm water back, filter the pollutants from it and release it gradually have been done away with. Um, so at, at, at Eagle and under the direction of Governor Whitmer, we're um, you know we're we're trying to we're trying to alleviate that problem both through through man-made infrastructure, ensuring that some of our our pipes and our holding tanks that hold the stormwater um, have the capacity to deal with not only storms we're seeing today, but the more uh, the more volatile storms and the more heavy rainfalls that we expect to continue seeing as a result of climate change. Um, so we're trying to implement solutions for that sort of um, you know brick and Order, but also a lot of our natural systems, uh, uh, maintaining the systems that we have, um, restoring the systems that used to exist, and encouraging uh, both through our financing and our guidance um, uh, what we call green infrastructure, which means you don't have to build a huge pipe uh, uh, to, to convey storm sewage if you have a lot of natural area in your community that can absorb that storm water. And so, you know, we talk about rain gardens on a small scale. Uh, we talk about preserving floodplains and 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 ensuring that uh, you know when 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 buildings or other infrastructure are built that the wetlands in that area are either preserved and protected or that if there is no alternative but to, to to build in some of those wetlands, do what we call mitigation, which means that you buy a wetland in, in some other area uh, and, and preserve that in perpetuity, um, or that you establish other measures to protect wetlands or, or create man-made wetlands, um, you know, with long-term monitoring to ensure they're doing their job. So there are a lot of different strategies um, to protect the wetlands that we have left, to, to increase the wetlands um, that are available to nature to use and uh, and to ensure that we don't do uh, any more damage than necessary to those natural systems that are so vital. So talk about balance because, you know, former reporter I worked with used to say everybody looks in the mirror and sees an environmentalist. And so many of us think that, you know, we're enlightened about these things and that we do the right thing if, if we recycle and if we, you know, try to, to drive a car with fewer emissions. And you can kind of picture a, a cartoon of somebody driving down the freeway during that rainstorm last week and thinking that they're pretty environmentally conscious and complaining because of what has been done to do away with the wetlands, even while they complain about their 20-minute commute being disrupted. Some of this is development that, that obviously that we need, and we need, we need roads. We've built a whole society. 
um, around paving roads for more than 100 years now, and especially that that took off with the interstate system. But are private developers required, regulated by the same standards for mitigating wetlands as government agencies are? So if you build, let's say, a new jail complex and you you know pave a lot of uh, a lot mm-hmm. of property, is it is it the same? Do do government have does government have a higher burden for mitigation? Yeah, um, the regulations are exactly the same for uh, government entities as they are for private entities. Um, so, you know, your agency, the Michigan Department of Transportation, um, when you do a project that's going to impact wetlands, uh, potentially you have to submit a permit uh, application to uh, our agency, just like any other developer would do. And, and, and you know, we use the same criteria um, to ensure that the wetlands are protected uh, as much as possible in those projects. Um, and it's interesting to note that, uh, you know, Michigan is in a unique role. Um, there, uh, of all the states in the nation, there are only three, Michigan, New Jersey, and Florida, that run their own wetlands program. And we've been uh, delegated authority um, by the Federal Environmental Protection Agency to run our own program. And we run our own program um, that, uh, you know, that follows the standards and in some cases uh, exceeds the standards that the federal government does. Um, and, and that's really a benefit to Michigan because we think the best decisions that, you know, to be made on individual wetland projects are better made by folks who live here than, than, than folks in Washington, D.C. Um, and, and so we do, we do run our own program and we are very invested in protecting those wetlands. And you're right, it is a balance. We, uh, uh, you know, Michigan still has a lot of wetlands left. And if you buy a significant parcel of property and have wetlands on them, um, you know, you, you should know going in that those wetlands are, are, are regulated, um, that there are certain things you can and can't do in wetlands. And, you know, if you're unaware of that, you may be taken by surprise. Uh, we, we, uh, as some people say, call balls and strikes. Um, we have wetlands regulated regulations and our own state wetlands laws that we have to adhere to. Uh, and, and, and we try to be as fair and consistent as possible in applying those standards, um, both to businesses and to government entities and private individuals in a lot of cases. Um, you know, so the goal is, uh, uh, you know, to protect the wetlands we have. We lost them, uh, you know, uh, in, in, in great, in vast numbers, um, you know, prior to the 1970s when a lot of the uh, Clean Water Act regulations went into effect. And we began to realize, um, you know, not only how much we had destroyed, but how important that was to uh, to Michigan. And, you know, you're, you're seeing the result now. If we had been enlightened a few decades earlier, we might have uh, less of a problem with flooding, especially in some of these urban areas. Um, but, you know, the, the law is the mechanism by which we protect the wetland. Uh, you know, when the laws came into place in the 70s, um, we began to see um, wetlands much better protected in Michigan. And of course, there are tweaks and, and various things we would like to see. We would like to see, you know, legislation to help the local communities be able to better access funding and support for for their own projects for their own infrastructure projects both green and gray infrastructure the you know the 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 bioswales and the you know and the meadows that absorb the water and the pipes that that carry the water and the combined sewer basins and other things that hold the stormwater temporarily uh, so it can be treated and released when the storm event is over. Um, and communities have have a hard time um, getting funding for their their day-to-day businesses, much less when you say, hey, you, you should do this big infrastructure project and improve your uh, uh, protection of, of some of the natural resources that, that are helping your community. Um, so there are some tweaks we'd like to see, but yes, everyone is regulated the same under the same laws, uh, be it government entities or private industry. I'd want to point out here that... Uh in terms of transportation infrastructure that 
Michigan and our, you know, decades long funding crisis and inability Mm -hmm. to keep up and maintain what we have is kind of a separate issue from the fact that we really haven't built anything new. There aren't expansions going on. There aren't new freeways. Michigan hasn't had a new freeway in, you know, 20 years since M6 was built south of Grand Rapids. So despite that, despite the system being pretty much built out and put together in southeast Michigan, there's still a heck of a lot of development that's been going on there. And you've watched the the wetlands over a period of time shrink. But I think what you're telling me now is that with the permitting process, such as it is, that there there has to be pretty much one-to-one mitigation for everything that is built. Um, yeah, at least one-to-one. Um, generally, it's even more than one-to-one um, to increase the safety factor. E- each project is unique, so it's hard to speak in, in general terms about them. But if you were going to either destroy or impact a wetland, our staff goes out, does an analysis of uh, of what will be lost, and then says, okay, we will approve your permit under the following conditions. And those conditions may be, you know, protecting a wetland in the same watershed nearby, um, or or building a man-made wetland, and, and then, you know, having a 20-year monitoring plan to make sure that, you know, it is doing its job and, and you know, providing a nursery for small creatures and, and you know, holding back stormwater and, and providing those natural solutions and and you know in in some in, in many cases the natural solution although it seems cumbersome and and isn't something that the uh, you know the engineers are, are necessarily embracing right away because it's new and they've kind of always done it the way they've done it building bigger and bigger pipes um, it's often more cost effective um, if you can preserve a wetland uh, that prevents you from having to build an expanded retention basin down the line or um, you know uh, protects you from having increasing storm fluctuations over on the, the the sewer pipe that you have to carry the water um, because you're preventing some of that water from getting into the man-made system in the first place. I'm losing track of what your original question was, Jeff, uh, and and that may be because uh, you know we're of a certain age. where both of us remember when the uh, when the M5 project over in in Southwest Michigan was uh, was still on the drawing board. That was M6, actually. M6, <laughs> yeah. You see, it's it's happening. It's happening faster and faster. <laughs> so yeah, I, I guess what I'm wondering is when you talked about incentivizing developers i mean there's a permitting process but are there things that you can do and and your counterparts in other states and the epa to incentivize you mentioned bioswales so the use of bioretention islands or bioswales things that like you said both you know kind of slow down the the drainage but actually kind of filter the water too a, a very natural way to make for cleaner water that makes its way to the tributaries yeah, how do you incentivize that um, you know, at Eagle, we give a, a lot of grants and low-interest loans to communities for this type of work. Um, a, a lot of the grants and loans for water projects uh, in the last few years have been directed toward drinking water, and part of that is because of a lot of the focus uh, on drinking water, both in Michigan and nationally. Uh, you know, with the Flint water crisis and some other issues that are going on, people are really uh, zeroed in on the on the drinking water. But we are, our Water Resources Division is embracing the drinking water part, but we're also um, uh, making a push in the next few years for more uh, funding, both state and federal funding for stormwater infrastructure. And I think that it's it's maybe sad to say, but these disasters, you know, if there's a silver lining, they, they sometimes raise awareness 
regardless of, of the infrastructure uh, needs of, of communities. And, and and maybe we'll get some the ball rolling in the political arena to get some more funding that way. But we in the funding that we do get and we do distribute, we've seen more of an emphasis on green infrastructure. In fact, we have certain grants that are designed only for green infrastructure and, uh, uh, you know, and, 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 and building that capacity. Um, you know, the, the laws that we're enforcing, um, the work that we do with the permit applicants, we uh, uh, I think we process between 4,000 and 6,000 um, permits for um, wetlands every year. And, you know, each one of those, our staff goes out, looks at the property, and often the developers and the engineers who are sort of fixated on, uh, you know, getting the best return for an investment won't, won't be looking at it the same way we do. So a lot of times our staff will go out and say, you know, if you if you rearrange this housing development to cluster these houses over here and avoid this wetland impact, you know, you, you would not only not have to do so much mitigation, which would be expensive and save, save you some money, the arrangement of the houses would be nicer and more aesthetically pleasing. And a lot of times we're able to work with developers to avoid impacts that they initially thought they couldn't avoid. So our staff does a lot of that. And there are incentives for green, you know, green infrastructure. And, and hopefully we'll be able to leverage some more uh, support for communities, for Michigan communities from the federal and state governments uh, and, and provide, you know, help work with the legislature to provide more um, mechanisms by which they can uh, have an e easier path to applying for and getting funding for these vital improvements. Um, because, you know, there are a lot of a lot of communities uh, uh, in the state that are in dire financial straits. They're having trouble supporting their day to day operations. I uh, was up uh, a month or two ago up in Sheboygan and they recently completed a 20 million dollar um, basically new water plant um, to process their wastewater. And they were replacing 1970s era, era technology and they showed us the old technology and it was almost literally held together with bailing wire and duct tape. Um, and, and it was really inefficient and really expensive to operate. They were getting constant violation notices from us. And they, they actually said to us, you know what? We welcome those violation notices because most people would cringe at them, but we can take them to our city council. We can take them to our state legislators and say, look, this is a huge problem. You can see we're getting violation notices. You know, we're getting out of bed in the middle of the night to go fix problems that happen and increasing staff time and maintenance and consultants who have to come in and figure out how to, you know, get the system running. You know, it's expensive and burdensome and tiresome. And they are so thrilled with their new plant, um, you know, that, that came from part federal and state money uh, that, uh, you know, it's, it's great to see communities uh, get uplifted like that. You know, Sheboygan has a lot going on downtown trying to revitalize itself and with the new wastewater plant uh, you know that's 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 one uh, one thing that they've invested in that will pay off in generations down the road we will continue the conversation right after a quick break if you need to get out and stretch your legs don't forget about the annual Mackinac bridge walk make your plans to attend the walk on labor day and take in some of the best views in the state of michigan on the mighty mac for more information go to mackinacbridge.org walk Talk about, I guess, related to this is what was done before you had the robust permitting system and regulations that we do now. A lot of what we're talking about in Southeast Michigan predated this, these modern regulations, and there's yep. nothing you can do to go back on that. Yep. I know this is there's no simple answer here, but we're going to have more of these rain events where we get three to five inches of rain, you know, within a 24-hour period or even fewer hours. Um, and we're going to have the same thing happen again. And, you know, people will say, well, 
They need to have generators for all those pumps, both in the tunnels at Metro Airport and for the freeways at I-275 and I-94 nearby. And everything was working. It wouldn't matter if, if the pumps were going at full capacity or not. There's no place for the water to go in that short amount of time. So is there anything that can be done in the in the near term about these kinds of things? In in the near term, the fixes to the to the systems that uh, you know address wastewater and help keep uh, streets from flooding and basements from backing up. Uh, there's going to be no quick fix for that. Um, this is this is a long a, a long term vision, um, and and we have now dug in and have started the process of rebuilding the infrastructure. Um, you know, was substandard without the impacts of climate change and with the impacts of climate change, which we're seeing now. Um, you know, we need to address the future. And so the bad news is there's no there's no short term fix for for the flooding problems. Um, you know, we will have to do some adaptation strategies, make sure that people have backflow preventers in their basements, m- make sure that we have people protected while we're, while we're improving the, the infrastructure that pr- protects them. You know, w- one of the things we're looking at, and we just put out our water resources division, put out a, their own climate strategy um, that kind of dovetails with the Michigan Healthy Climate Plan, which of course is, is, uh, is mostly just a climate change um, in the long term and mitigation of, of climate change, but eventually will also incorporate adaptation and in, in, in what we can do to protect people um, from the effects of climate change that we can't stop at this point. Um, so we'll be looking to incorporate adaptation into the My Healthy Climate Plan, but underneath and kind of in, in tandem with the climate plan that we actually have out for public comment now is the Water Resources Division's climate strategy. And that that lists a lot of the infrastructure projects projects that are going on, a lot of the things that we hope to see in terms of, um, you know, um, making more robust systems, making bigger retention basins that can capture more rainfall, um, you know, investing in more green infrastructure um, so that we don't have to invest in the pipes and the, and the concrete systems uh, as, as as much. And that uh, strategy is a is a proposal to um, have a 10% safety factor added on to anything that collects water. Um, if you have a uh, if you run a combine if you run a big factory farm and you have a sewage lagoon that takes the waste products from your animals, um, we're going to be asking that that uh, you know meet the new design standards with the latest NOAA uh, projections for rainfall amounts. And, and we're working under an old one. We're, we're moving to the new one now that incorporates some of the climate change impacts that are expected. Um, you know, um, not only meeting those standards, but adding 10% on the capacity uh, with the realization in the future, they're, they're definitely going to need that. Um, and, and so that kind of strategy is one of the ways that we're addressing um, the, the situation. But yeah, it's, it's not going to be a quick fix. Um, you know, we have decades, if not centuries, of destructions of these wetlands and, and paving, you know, what essentially was, uh, you know, was a soggy, uh, a soggy Detroit um, back when it was founded and, and putting all this impervious pa- pavement on it. And we cannot reverse decades or centuries of, of destruction of these wetlands in a few short years. So it's a long term strategy, but it's really heartening to see the mindset of the public changing from the historic um, you know, back in in the day when the swamps were the enemy and the goal was to drain that water as fast as possible, as quick as possible, anywhere but on on the property so that you could farm the field or, you know, build a build a housing development. And there was really no thought given to 
where that water was going to end up and what was going to happen when that land could no longer um, you know, manage the water that fell on it. Um, so I think the mindset is different, and I'm optimistic that we can get to a long-term solution with some momentum. But yeah, it won't be a quick fix, Jeff. Well, you, you raise a good point, though, for historical context. Long before anybody was paving anything, farmers, um, you know, settlers, homesteaders were trying yep. to figure out ways to, uh, in some cases, drain, in some cases, burn off wetlands and try to, you know, eliminate what was there and turn it into fertile farm ground, which which they often did um, all mm-hmm. over the country. Yeah, that's that's good historic context, yeah. too. Anything yeah. else you want to Want no, I, I, I just got a story that came to mind that when I was uh, in my tw- in my 20s, long ago, um, I I lived in uh, in Granville, a suburb of Grand Rapids, and there was a, a a field, an undeveloped field that I used to walk my dog in, and it was beautiful. It had wildflowers, and you know it was swampy, and it had trees growing in it, and little paths that people had gone through it, and you know I knew it was private property, but it wasn't posted, and there was nothing going on there, and I hadn't been there for a while, and I came back. And it, it had been completely bulldozed. Um, they they taken all the water that was sitting in low lying areas and built a big uh, a pond, a retention pond that was supposed to hold the water. And they were building a housing development around it. And I was like, wow. And I had just learned about wetlands uh, through the West Michigan Environmental Action Council. And I thought this seems illegal to me. So I filed a complaint with the then DEQ, which is the agency I work for now. And a few weeks later, I got back a letter saying that thanks for your concern, but this wasn't officially a wetland and had information about soil types and, and 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 gradients that I didn't understand and I shrugged my shoulders and thought well they're the experts and you know they must know um, you know unfortunately that was under uh, an era of a governor and a director who were not great environmentalists and and I have my suspicions that that was a wetland and those were confirmed about 10 years later my wife went back after we had moved away and had dinner with friends and one of the friends said oh we ran across your husband's name the other day and she said how and she said well I live around this pond that was developed and all of our basements flood and we had to have a class action suit against the developer. And in the discovery process, they'd gone through the DEQ files and found my complaint. And that was sort of an aha moment for me. It was like, oh, it seemed to me like they shouldn't have destroyed that natural area. And since they did and thought they could manage the water in a man-made pond, it didn't work out well for them. And so, you know, in that case, an ounce of prevention um, would have been worth a pound of cure if they had developed that a different way or left it undeveloped. I think it could have protected all those uh, homes and, and homeowners and actually having to be tied up in litigation for years. That's that's uh, that's a cool story. And there's definitely some vindication there. I should point out, though, this all started with you and your dog trespassing. Um, yeah, I, I, I assume you'll, uh, I assume the statute of limitations has run out on that, which is the only reason I mention it. Let's hope so. Let's hope so. <laughs> Hugh, thanks, uh, as always, uh, really appreciate your time and the way you synthesize these things and, and break it down. And hopefully, um, more and more people will start to think about this because it's going to be with us, uh, for a while and there's going to be more of these flooding events and we're not going to. We're not going to, you know, build our way out of it anytime soon. Uh, I agree, Jeff. Thanks for having me. I love to talk about it. And it's something we, uh, is top of mind every, every day we, we go to work is, is, you know, how to protect our natural resources, not only for the, for the, for the things they do for the environment, but even more importantly for the, for the, for the protections they provide for the health of, of people in Michigan. Very well said. I'd like to thank you once more for tuning in to Talking Michigan Transportation. You can find show notes and more on Apple Podcasts or Buzzsprout. 
I also want to acknowledge the talented people who help make this a reality each week, starting with Randy Debler, who skillfully edits the audio, Jesse Ball, who proofs the content, Courtney Bates, who posts the podcast to various platforms, and Jackie Salinas, who transcribes the audio to make it accessible to all. 